0: It's good to be with you, church. My name is Halim Sa. I serve as one of the pastors and elders here at the Stone. You know, this song, it's only been around for a little while, but it's, it's one of my favorite songs of all time. I think it needs to be the anthem of every believer. Let me read to you again these, these lines. In all my sorrows, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. In all my victories, Jesus is better, make my heart believe. Than any comfort, Jesus is better, make my heart believe. More than all riches, Jesus is better, make my heart believe. These lines are so powerful and they resonate so deeply within us, right? Why? Because this world is filled with sorrow, Because cancer is going to come and miscarriages will happen and the only way that we're going to be able to get through all of these things is if we feel Jesus embrace us and hold us through every single one of those moments for us to see that Jesus is better and for us to even rejoice in our sufferings and sorrows because it's through the sufferings and sorrows that we were able to see Jesus and feel Jesus in a way that we've never seen him or felt him before. Or for others of us, maybe we need to see that Jesus is better than our victories. Maybe you've chased the victory of success and you've spent your life and you've sacrificed your life achieving and accomplishing, and now you're asking the question, is this it? Is this all there is to life? Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and you don't believe in Jesus yet, yet you still feel that question lingering in your soul. As you wake up to this world every day, is this it? Is this all there is to life? Well, why do we feel that? We feel that because the Bible says that He has placed eternity in our hearts. He's placed eternity in our hearts. Or God has designed your hearts in such a way that it will not be fully satisfied as you win promotions for yourself, as you accomplish comfortable lifestyles for yourself, as you pile up riches upon riches for yourself here in this life. But instead, he's designed your heart in such a way that it will only be lastingly happy. It will only be fully satisfied in Jesus. In knowing Jesus... And experiencing Jesus to be better than anything that this world has to offer. But the trouble for us today is that that, that's so hard to believe, isn't it? We We struggle to believe that Jesus is actually better. And so I love the next line. God, will you make my heart believe? God, God, I know Jesus is better, but I'm not feeling it right now. God, will you make my heart believe that Jesus is better? God, will you make my heart believe that Jesus is better than all sorrow, than victories, than comforts and riches? Will you make my heart believe that Jesus is better? Because in so many ways, this is what it all comes down to for the believer, right? In so many ways for us, it all comes down to this question, Do you believe that Jesus is better? Do you believe that Jesus is better? Has God been calling you to do something? Do you sense that God is calling you to do something? Has God been calling you to give up something? Do you sense God calling you to give up something? Do you sense God telling you to stop doing something? Do you sense God calling you to change something, you, you, you sense God and you feel God and you hear him in his word. He's calling you to something. But you feel this sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach because you're petrified of what the cost will be. Well, what would so and so think of me if I did that? A couple of weeks ago, Matt taught us about evangelism, right? That the gospel is not something that we simply demonstrate with our lives, with our actions, but the gospel is something that has to be declared with our mouths, with, with our words. And ever since then, we've been asking ourselves, but what will so-and-so think if I share the gospel with them? If after all this time, we've never really talked about that, what if I share the gospel with them? What will they think of me? See, whatever the call of God is upon your life, we're constantly asking ourselves, what's so and so going to think? What will it cost me? What will it mean for my life if I obeyed? How drastically will it change my life if I said yes to that? And we're all paralyzed with fear of, of the cost and what other people may think. But the question still remains will you obey? Will you obey? Well, it all depends. It all depends on whether you believe Jesus is better, on whether you believe Jesus is better. We're back in the book of Mark today. If you remember, the book of Mark is the book that we've been going through before we got to the vision series. We're going to be in Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, we're going to see the story of Mary of Bethany. And in today's text, we're going to see that she's going to do something very costly for Jesus. We're going to see her take the very best of all that she has, and we're going to see her take the very best of all that she is, and we're going to see her offer it all to Jesus, surrender it all to Jesus. And we're going to see that the reason why she does that, the reason why she's able to do that is because she believed Jesus was better because she believed Jesus was better. And as we look at this text, we're gonna ask three questions. Number one, what did Mary do? What did she do? Number two, why did Mary do it? Why did she do it? And number three, how was Mary able to do it? How was she able to do it? And from there, we'll see how we'll be able to do and obey whatever the call of God has for us by seeing that Jesus is better. Mark chapter 14. Verses 1 through 9 today. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And so we see from the first two verses that we're entering into the last week of Jesus' life. And people are plotting to kill him. But Jesus is moving closer and closer to the cross. Starting next week, we're going to see, starting in verse 10, that Judas, too, is plotting to kill him. And so those on the outside, those on the inside are plotting to kill him. And so in front of and in in between this backdrop of darkness, what Mark is offering us is this diamond of a story in Mary of Bethany. Verse 3. Well, you may be asking, how do you know it's Mary? Because Mark just says a woman came to him. Well, Matthew chapter 26 and John chapter 12 also records this story. And John tells us that this is the Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, the one that Jesus raised from the dead. And so if you read Mark chapter 14 and Matthew chapter 26 and John chapter 12 and put it all together, put the story all together, what we see here happening is that there's a thank you dinner being thrown for Jesus for raising Lazarus from the dead, as you should. You should throw a thank you dinner if he raises your brother from the dead. And it's being hosted by Simon the leper, and um, presumably also healed by Jesus. We know he doesn't have leprosy now, because if you had leprosy, you would be quarantined, not hosting dinner parties, and so Simon is there, his family is there, Jesus's disciples are there, and so this is a dinner party of about 20 people, and so everyone's having a great time, people are chatting it up, and imagine this party, Martha is busy like always, and she's in the kitchen, she's cooking up her best fried chicken for Jesus, and what else do you cook for the man who raised brother from the dead and so she's she's working she's cooking and imagine the conversations that are happening Peter's there and Peter sees Simon and says hey Simon how are you doing you're not in quarantine anymore hey Simon remember the time when your skin was falling off yeah that was awesome and 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 Simon is looking at Lazarus going hey Lazarus how are you doing hey hey Lazarus remember the time when you were dead that was awesome too and, and imagine the questions that we would have for Lazarus, Lazarus, what's it like to die? Was it a bummer? Is it a bummer knowing that you have to do it again? And, <laughs> and what's heaven like? And, and who told you that you had to come back? And Lazarus is like, yeah, I, I was there. And Mike, Michael the archangel came up to me, he said, he said, look, Martha's crying and, and Mary is crying and now Jesus is crying you got to go back. you got to go back, man. (laughs) Everyone is having a great time. And then all of a sudden, Mary walks in. And she's going to do something that causes the party to come to a shrieking halt. Have you ever been to a party like that? Everything's going well and your drunk uncle walks in or something. Mary comes in with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. Basically really costly perfume. And she broke the flask and poured it over Jesus' head. And you may be thinking, well, that was nice of Mary to do that. Well, apparently no one else thought it was nice because everyone sees her do this and they start scolding her. They start yelling at her. They start saying, what in the world, Mary? What are you doing? What in the beep, beep are you doing? It's, it's that level of anger in the Greek. And go look at it. Well, why did everyone respond like this? Well, because the alabaster full of this ointment of pure nard was worth about 300 denarii, about 300 days' uh, wages. And so for the average Austinite, about $45,000. Don't just think about how long it would take to make this kind of money. Think about how long it would take to save this kind of money. Something like this was almost certainly a family heirloom passed on from one generation to another. It represented the financial security for this family. And so, if something terrible were to happen, if famine would strike, if there would be an invasion, and, and things got so bad there was absolutely no way to earn money, the family could turn to this alabaster flask and to them be safety, to them be security and life. Well, what does Mary do with such a valuable possession? Well, she breaks it, and she pours it on Jesus' head and his feet. In one extravagant display of love, Mary is saying, Jesus, this is the most precious thing that I have. This is the most valuable thing that I possess, and I give it to you. As Mary is breaking that alabaster flask, she is saying, Jesus, this is... This was my security. Jesus, this, this was my hope. This was what calmed my fears when I would worry about the future. But now, Jesus, you're my hope. You're my security. You calm my fears. In other words, what is she saying? She's saying, Jesus, you are better. You are better. So church, what's your alabaster flask? What's your most precious? What's your most valuable? What's the thing in your life, if it were taken away from you, you would lose all sense of safety and security and hope? Is it your house, your job, your retirement plan? Or is it relationships? Is it your children? Is it your husband, your wife? Is it your boyfriend or girlfriend? And do you sense Jesus telling you to surrender it to him? Well, you'll never be able to. You'll never be able to unless you see that Jesus is better. And everyone is scolding Mary. They're yelling at her. What in the world are you doing, Mary? Do you know what we could have done with forty-five thousand dollars? One of the pastors I was reading on this text said, All everyone could see was the perfume, but all Mary could see was Jesus. All everyone could see was the perfume. But all Mary could see was Jesus. When's the last time that you did something for Jesus that was so lavish and so extravagant that everyone thought you were an absolute fool for doing it? Ever? But Mary doesn't stop there. What else do we see Mary doing? John tells us that she bent down to Jesus' feet and started wiping his feet with her hair. What's she doing here? As Mary offers Jesus her alabaster flask, she is saying, here, Jesus, this is everything that I have. But as Mary offers Jesus her hair, she is saying, here, Jesus, this is everything that I am. Everything that I am. Many of us, we've offered Jesus lots of things, but we've yet to offer Jesus our very self. This is what Mary is doing. Paul tells us that a woman's hair is her glory, And in this ancient Near East culture, it was exactly that. A woman would bound up her hair, and she would only let it down in front of her husband for her husband to see. A woman would bound up her hair. She would only let it down in her home, in the privacy of her own home. What Mary did for Jesus was not only fiscally irresponsible, but it was physically scandalous. She was breaking all social norm and etiquette, but she couldn't give a rip about social etiquette. She didn't care about the consequences, what other people may think, what other people would say. Because all that mattered to her was Jesus. All she could see was Jesus. As she was wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, she was saying, I lay my glory down at your feet. As she's wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, she's saying, Jesus, this represents the very best of who I am, and it's only good enough to clean your feet. She's displaying absolute humility here. But what else is she doing? She's displaying absolute confidence. She's saying, Jesus, I'm gonna let my hair down because I'm at home. Jesus, you're my home. So what did Mary do? Mary offered Jesus everything. All of what she had, all of who she was. Next question, why did she do it? Why did she pour out $45,000 worth of ointment of pure nard on Jesus? And why did she bow down and wipe his feet with her hair? Mark chapter 14, verses 6 through 8. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Why did she do it? Jesus says she did it to anoint his body beforehand for burial. So Mary poured out this ointment of pure nard, something that was used for the purpose of anointing and preparing dead bodies for burial. It was, it was so costly and it was so pure and it had such a strength of a smell that it was designed to cover up the stink of death. And why did she do this? She poured it out on Jesus because she knew Jesus was going to die. She knew Jesus was going to die. Well, how did she know Jesus was going to die? Because he said it over and over and over again. Guys, remember throughout the Gospels, Jesus is constantly telling his disciples that he's going to die but be raised again from the dead And he talked about it so much that the chief priests and the scribes, Pharisees, they all knew about it. But for some reason, his disciples kept missing it, remember? They were even rejecting it. They couldn't couldn't possibly imagine a Messiah that wasn't going to militarily rule or conquer, but instead die. Messiahs don't die. But Mary believed Jesus. She heard Jesus, she believed him, and so she purposed to use the best, the most costly ointment of pure nard to anoint his body for burial. Okay, but let's think deeply about what Mary did. If you knew someone, perhaps your best friend, and perhaps your best friend was going to die for you. All right, let's say your best friend was going to die for you. Would you have any problems offering them $45,000? No, you wouldn't. You would give it to them like that, right? But let me ask you another question. You wouldn't have any problems giving them $45,000, but would you then bow down to your hands and your feet and start wiping their feet with your hair? Would you do that? Hmm. I, I don't think you would. I wouldn't. Why not? But Mary did. Why did she? Because she believed something about Jesus that you wouldn't believe just about your best friend. She believed that Jesus was more than just a man that was going to die for her. She believed that he was God that was also going to rise again from the dead. Because many a good human beings may be willing to die for you, but no mere human is going to rise again from the dead. You may have people in your life that love you enough to be willing to die for you, but then they're not gonna rise again from the dead. They're just people, so you don't bow down and worship people. And so Mary didn't just believe that Jesus was an incredible man that was going to die for her. She believed he was the God-man that was going to rise again from the dead. And, And she knew this from experience. You know, when her brother Lazarus died, Jesus came and he told Mary and Martha that he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus was raised again from the dead. And from that day on, as she saw her brother daily at her house walking around, she knew this was no mere human being. She knew this was God in the flesh who had power over death. That's why Mary did what she did. And so Jesus says in verse 8, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And think about that statement. It's kind of a strange statement. She has done what she could. Almost like she wanted to do something else, but she couldn't quite do it, and so she did what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. That she couldn't, for some reason, anoint his body after he would die, so she did it beforehand. It's a peculiar sentence, but it makes total sense. Think about this With me, Mary is like, you know, Jesus said he's going to die. I believe him. I don't know why these 12 knuckleheads don't believe that. I believe it. I heard him. Jesus is going to die. I wish there was something I could do for him. Well, I know. I'm I'm going to get the most costly, the purest ointment of pure nard. I'm going to anoint his body for burial. But wait a minute. Jesus said he was going to rise again from the dead. So I might not get a chance to anoint his body body for burial, and so, oh, I know, I'll, I'll just anoint his body for burial right now while he's still alive, and so you could imagine Mary thinking through this, and she was right, wasn't she? After Jesus dies, the women go to the tomb to anoint his body for burial, and he's no longer there. He's already risen from the dead. They don't have a chance to anoint his body for burial. If a normal human being dies, you have all the time in the world to anoint their body because they're dead, But if you're trying to anoint Jesus' body for burial, you better do it quick. You better do it quick. Why did Mary do what she did? Because she had a proper view of Jesus. You see, what you're able to give Jesus shows how you view Jesus. How do you view Jesus? Do you view him as your friend, as your best friend even? As someone who is always there for you? As someone that you can call when you're in trouble. As someone that you could ask when you're in need of something. If you view Jesus to be all of those things, you're going to be able to offer Jesus lots of things. Even $45,000. But church, let me ask you a question. Do you believe Jesus is God? Do you believe he's God? Unless you believe he's God, you won't be able to offer him your very self. Do you believe that he is the the one that is the resurrection and the life? I watched the movie a couple of weeks ago, um, Gravity, and such a good movie, such a visually stunning movie that made me think about this illustration that I heard. The distance between the earth and the sun is 93 million miles. The distance between the earth and the sun is 93 million miles. And if that 93 million miles is represented by the thickness of one single sheet of paper, then the distance to the nearest star would be represented by a stack of papers 70 feet high. Think about that. 93 million miles 70 feet high. And the width of our galaxy, the galaxy that we live in, the width of our galaxy would be represented by a stack of papers 310 miles high. That's just our galaxy. There are an estimated 200 billion galaxies in the observable universe. The universe that Hebrews 1:3 tells us that Jesus upholds with the word of his power. With his word he upholds it all. What do you do with a person like this? How do you treat a person like this? Do you say, Jesus, okay, you could have this, but you can't have that? Do you say, Jesus, okay, fine, since you uphold all things by the word of your power, all tithe after taxes, but not before taxes? That's just crazy. Do you say that? Do you say, Jesus, okay? Um, I'll stop talking badly about this person, but I refuse to forgive this person. Jesus, do you know what they did to me? Do you say, I like this part in the scriptures, Jesus, where you say you love everybody, you love me, you love the whole world, I like that, I'll believe that. But over here where you say you choose people for foundation before the foundations of the earth... That sounds strange to me. That doesn't even sound fair. I don't, I don't, I'm not gonna believe that. How do you treat this person? Mary shows us the only proper way to treat a person like this. She gives him everything. She says, this is everything that I have. This is everything that I am. I surrender everything at your feet, Jesus. She worships, she worships him. For this person named Jesus... Nothing less than worship will do. Nothing less than worship will do. Her response is so proper. Her affections for Jesus are so matching with the worthiness of Jesus that Jesus says in verse 9, And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. It's an incredible promise. And it's being fulfilled right here 2,000 years later, isn't it? Jesus is saying, look at what Mary has done and remember it. It's so beautiful. It's a beautiful thing when the affections of my people are matching my worthiness. That's what Jesus is saying. And here we have an opportunity to assess our affection for Jesus. Here we have an opportunity to look at how our heart is feeling towards Jesus. How's your heart for Jesus, church? How's your affection for Jesus? Do you ever reach a point where you feel like your heart is going to burst because you just want to show him how much you love him? Where your experience of Jesus being better is so real and it's so tangible that you just want to give him everything that is at your disposal. You just want to offer him everything that is of you. You don't care about the consequences. You don't care about what other people will think. You don't care about what other people will say. Because all that matters to you is Jesus. Because all that you could see is Jesus you ever been there? That's what happened to Mary on that day. That's what happened to Mary. And Jesus says, it's beautiful. Jesus looks at it and he says, that's a beautiful thing. And so what did she do? She gave Jesus everything. Why did she do it? She, because she believed Jesus was more than just a man that was going to die, but she believed she, he was God that was also going to rise from the dead because she believed Jesus was better than anything that this world had to offer. And the last question, how was she able to do it? We're asked in another way, how did Mary come to have this proper, full view of Jesus even at a time when many of his disciples were missing it? Well, we get a glimpse of how in Luke chapter 10. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. See, we see Mary throughout the gospels continually at the feet of Jesus. Here in Luke chapter 10, her sister Martha is running around busy, but Mary is at the feet of Jesus, fixated on Jesus, hanging on to his every word learning from him, being taught by him. And then in John chapter 11, when her brother Lazarus dies, we see once again Mary throwing herself at the feet of Jesus, weeping. And in today's text, in Mark chapter 14, we see Mary at the feet of Jesus, anointing his feet, cleaning his feet with her hair. We see that throughout the scriptures, whether it's it's her learning or weeping or serving in worship, this is the constant position of Mary. She is at the feet of Jesus, constantly at the feet of Jesus, all the while being transformed by him, all the while being changed by him until it became the most natural thing in all the world to surrender to him her everything. She kept sitting at his feet, started getting a fuller and fuller and fuller and fuller view of Jesus until it became the most natural conclusion, this Jesus must have my everything, nothing less will do. You see, after looking at what Mary gave Jesus, our application can't be, it can't be, okay, I'll do that too. I'll I'll offer Jesus, what's the best thing that I have? I'll give it to Jesus. and, and, And what's the best of what I am? I'll give that to Jesus too. Our application can't be that today because we just won't make it. We won't persevere. Many of us have tried. See, because Mary, she couldn't have done what she did on day one of meeting Jesus. But she eventually got there. Well, how did she get there? We have to look at how she got there. She was constantly sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so our application can't be, just do it. Just do what Mary did, even if you don't want to, even if you don't feel like it. Instead, our application today needs to be to go and sit at the feet of Jesus. Go and sit at his feet regularly, every day. Do what Mary did. Go to his word. Go to him in prayer Constantly position yourself in humility before him. Go and sit at his feet, and you'll come to realize that he's not first asking you to give him your life, but he's showing you that he has first given his life for you. If you go and sit at his feet, you'll come to realize that he's not first asking you to come love him, but he's showing you all the ways that he has first loved you. When you go and sit at his feet, you'll come to realize that he's not first asking you to bring your alabaster jar for him, but he's showing you that on the cross, it was him who was truly broken and was poured out. And even if it's little by little, you'll feel him changing you. You'll feel him transforming you to see that he is better, that Jesus is better until it becomes the most natural thing in all the world, until it becomes the most joyful thing in all the world to offer to Jesus your everything. And so right now, maybe you're not able to do what Mary did, but it's okay. Go and sit at Jesus' feet. Let me close by letting you know what the reward will be though, what the reward will be for doing what Mary did. See, just six days later, After Mary anoints Jesus, just six days, Jesus would be crucified. And I want you to think about this with me and wonder with me. I wonder if, as Jesus is hanging on that cross, dying for the sins of his people, as Jesus is dying on the cross for the sins of his people, his people that have rejected him, his people that have been plotting to kill him, his people that are crying, crucify him, as Jesus is beaten beyond all recognition, as Jesus is hanging on the cross with the full weight of his body, the full weight of our sin stayed by the rusty iron nails, as Jesus is breathing in one painful breath after another, I wonder what he was breathing in. I wonder if he was breathing in The gift of Mary, the ointment of pure nard still lingering in his hair, in his beard, in his skin. I wonder if he could still smell the lingering gift of Mary's love. And I wonder if in that moment, even on the cross, he was strengthened and he felt encouraged and it brought him peace. That's the view to our reward. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that we are a pleasing aroma of Christ to God. That when it came to God and us, he did not hold back. He was lavish, he was extravagant. He gave everything. In Jesus, he gave us the very best of all that he had. In Jesus, he gave us the very best of all that he is. And on the cross, Jesus was the true alabaster flask. On the cross, He himself was broken, and he was poured out for us, on us. If you're in Christ today, there ought to be a lingering smell of Jesus about you. There ought to be a lingering smell of Jesus about us. And so let's join Mary at the feet of Jesus. Let's ask him to change us and transform us and make our hearts believe that Jesus is better. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you did not withhold. Instead, you offered us everything. And so we don't have to fear, God. And whatever the call of God is upon us, whatever you're calling us to do, we don't have to fear that uh, by obeying we'll be missing out. Because you did not withhold, you gave us everything. The, re, the very best of all that you are, you offered us in Jesus. The Father, will you cause us and invite us in to the feet of your son. And in humility before him, Lord, we will you change us and will you transform us and will you make our hearts believe that Jesus is better help us to get a fuller and fuller and fuller view of Jesus until nothing else makes sense but to give him our everything in Jesus name we pray